Welcome to the Hyatt 9 News Hour, where you will hear from cannabis industry experts and professionals from around the country talk about important topics while shining light on global issues and discussing cannabis as it relates to politics, regulation and reform, data and technology, science, research and medicine, family and parenting, art, celebrities and entertainment, fitness, sports, mental health and wellness, and plant-based medicines and entheogenics. Together, we are building a stronger community, fighting the stigma and creating change. With your hosts, Jason Beck and Rico Lamite, joined by special industry expert correspondents from around the country and daily antics brought to you by Cannabis. Coming to you live every Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific time and high noon on the East Coast. And thank you all for getting high at 9 with us. Oh, yeah. Good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. That's right. It is 9 a.m. on the West Coast, and it is high noon on the East Coast, and you are tuned in now to High at 9 News. Oh, yeah. Today is National Oregon Day, International Women's Day. Why, why we're having International Women's Day when it's International Women's Month, I'm not quite sure. And it's National... Fact, there is never enough love for the women, so bite your tongue. I'm just saying. You guys already have the month. Don't know why you need an extra day. You know, this, this, <laughs> month, this month has 31 days in it. And it's yeah, National Proofreading Day. All right. Fine. National Proofreading Day. Oh, yeah. Yes, that's right. Uh, thank you all for joining us and getting high at nine with us. It's also, as I said, it's high noon on the East Coast. And please remember to like, share, and subscribe to us on all social media platforms. We're live every Monday through Friday on YouTube and audio only on Clubhouse. And if you are joining us in Clubhouse, you can also participate in the show by raising your hand if you have a brief comment on the story most recently presented. Oh, he is there. Look at that. Look at the dope dad has made it himself. Oh, 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 yeah, there he is. Coming up first, we have the dope dad himself. That's right. It's Rico Lamy. When Rico is not babysitting or hosting tea parties in his South Central abode, you can find him disappearing on us just like that with a flick of a switch. Whether or not he comes back, we don't know. Oh, but there he is. It's all of a sudden he's like Houdini. Yeah, it is. Motherfucker. Oh yeah, yeah. All the always, always with boots, bro. Always with the boots, kicking in doors and taking numbers. That's right. Is the dope dad himself, Rico Lamite. Oh yeah, Jason. Thank you for that. Uh, yet another illustrious introduction, and um, welcome back, everybody. So my story today, we're gonna be looking at a portrait of America from the view of our Canadian friends to the north. All right, so Aurora Cannabis, let's talk about them. Uh, one of the biggest companies in the entire industry. And um, they think that the path forward is all about medical. All consumption is medical consumption. It doesn't matter how cool you look at doing it or how cool the person you see taking their medicine seems, it is all medical. So it just so happens weed is medicine people have enjoyed for various reasons, taking socially. The industry as we know it today wouldn't even exist 
if it weren't for the original medical conversation and if the predictions of the CEO of one of the biggest cannabis operators in the world comes true, the industry's only viable path forward is returning to its roots. Uh, Last month, Canadian giant Aurora Cannabis released its results for the fiscal second quarter ending December 31st. Despite its size and globally recognized name, Aurora remains unprofitable. However, it did post a positive adjusted EBITDA of just over a million dollars. EBITDA is earnings before interest taxes, depreciation, and amortization. A metric used to evaluate a company's operating performance and generally seen as a broad health check for an entire company's operations. Almost everybody else in the space bears continually trends downward. So in the eyes of a traditional investor, Aurora is headed in the right direction and could soon achieve profitability. And if it does, what's that mean for everybody else going forward? It depends on how you look at it. Aurora's game plan since 2020 has been to focus on medical. The majority of Canadian companies and eventually American MSOs pushed for increased uh, recreational access while Aurora did not. Their stock price, along with investors betting on their success, suffered the consequences. Miguel Martin became their CEO in 2020 uh, when it was reporting a net loss of $3 billion for the fiscal year. In an interview with uh, MJ Biz, he said, I knew medical made money and I knew rec was a maybe, coulda, woulda, shoulda. But I knew we were hemorrhaging cash on recreational and we didn't see it getting any better. Their stock price had plummeted to uh, that year to $10 per share, down from an all-time high of nearly $130 per share back in 2018. Martin said going through that rough patch in 2020, as opposed to 2022, was the catalyst for them. Whether it's the capital markets, whether it's the Canadian rec market, I'm going, uh, I'm just so glad we got it taken care of earlier because right now it'd be a real challenge. Aurora's pain three years ago came from many of the same problems of maturing American cannabis industry sees today. It was growing way more than it could sell. Martin took the heat publicly and said, fuck the haters and the analysts. In order to succeed, to succeed long-term, Aurora had to drop its ego and stick to the plan. He told investors it was going to be okay to be in ninth or 10th place in terms of market recreational share. The company sold off a ton of grows having production fiscal uh, 2022 to roughly 163,000 pounds uh, from the 331,000 pounds they did in 2020 uh, when he came on board with them. Medical cannabis is the absolute lion's share of profitability right now, he told MJ Biz. And currently, Aurora is number one in the Canadian and medical market share by far, serving around 60,000 active patients. Their current bets riding on the global legalization wave and being Canada's largest medical player, it positions them well uh, for the future success of the company as medical markets open up to international trade. If a country is moving towards decriminalizing, easing into the idea of medical cannabis, who are they most likely uh, to import that product from? probably a major established player in a mature market with a proven steady hand who's chosen science over logic, hype over emotion. Though currently trading at just 81 cents per share, it seems that Aurora's medical long game is poised to pay off pretty soon after years of pain. Could America be headed in the same direction? Joe Biden's advisors have been hinting at rescheduling, rescheduling, not descheduling. Adult use operators, no matter the size, continue to struggle quarter after quarter. Social equity and compassionate care, 
remain thorns in the sides of profit. And inflation and commoditization have arrived, driving operating costs up and the price of uh, uh, the actual product down. So all this makes you wonder, is focusing on medical the only path to sustainable profitability in the American cannabis industry? I'm Rico Lamid, dopest dad on the street for High 9 News. I'm really interested to see everybody's takes on this one. Is recreational debt, is adult use debt in America? Well, I've been saying this for years, and nobody seems to be listening to me except for Aurora. If the shit is going to happen in D.C., it's going to come medically. And I don't care why people don't seem to agree with me, but I know what I'm talking about. I generally know what I'm talking about. If we look at how states have come on board and legalized, they do it through medical first. And I see the feds going the exact same way. That there is no appetite in Congress to all of a sudden just make cannabis legal. It's not there. Not going to happen. So people need to stop playing this game and pretending that um, adult use is the way for this country. In the near term, it's push medical. Medical is what is going to get passed. Research is what's passing. This is what people need to care about because it's going to go the way of big pharma. You need to be a part of the game uh, if you want to sustain in it and make it to when adult use does happen. I suggest bills that would legalize medical nationally and then decriminalize uh, to help support keeping open the operators in states where it is currently legal for adult use and then having the other states like good old Oklahoma who didn't pass their shit uh, to decide whether or not they want adult use. That's the only path forward. And I'm right. And I will put any amount of money on that. Jason Beck. I'll put some money on that, but let's structure this bet because I totally disagree with you on this. Totally, totally, totally. disagree. Okay. I can't wait to hear your thoughts behind this then. I mean, my thoughts is this is, is that we need to deschedule cannabis um, and just, that, that that has to happen. If we focus on the medical, the FDA is going to get involved. Um, you're not going to have medical grade products like as you typically know them. There's all going to be single uh, compounds. It's not going to be any type of full spectrum products on the, uh, available on the market. And basically, you're taking all the medical value out of the plant by handing it over to the pharmaceutical industries. You're taking Disagree. the medical value out of the plant by handing it over to Big yeah, Pharma? Yeah, 100 percent. Because you're not going to have anything full spectrum. You're all going to have everything that's single compound. It's all going to be, and uh, it's all going to be like, synthetic single compound at that. Isolated. Isolates. Yes. Isolated. It's like solitary confinement for your weed. The FDA needs to work on making a separate pathway and treating this like any other nutraceutical where you can purchase it as FDA you would doesn't like. Never nutraceutical, so, Gretchen. The FDA even, needs to make a separate pathway to start dealing with CBD and dealing with cannabis as a whole. Uh, you know why they don't deal with nutraceuticals, like you said? Because they have a lobby behind them, and they said, here's our rules. This is how we want to run our industry. And the feds are like, okay, take care of it. We don't know jack about how to do this. And I don't know why no one in cannabis has stepped up to say that. Jason, I, I, think, you, I, think, you, I, think, I think you have a point there um, with, the, with the isolates. I mean, because it's going to give them the opportunity to sell more pills. Right, hundred percent. You're gonna have to create the. Right, right. You're gonna have to. The holy grail. What is um, connecting your 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 double helix, your DNA to uh, actual the endocannabinoid system, right? And uh, you're gonna be able to have actual uh, um, designer weed to have desired effects. 
in order to get that, they're going to have to give you like four or five different pills uh, of, of different isolates to get that effect, right? Yeah, see that going forward. They're going to have to. They're going to get you to be taking like however many pills of cannabis to get the desired effect that you want, and we're going to be popping pills all the way into the future. For the last seventy years, we've been growing weed and not really paying attention to the government, except when they come and try to stomp our door in. And uh, I think a lot of times in this conversation, this just gets left by the wayside. You can just grow weed, sell it to your friends, trade it for tomatoes. Like you can ignore this entire system, provided you're not trying to make some inordinate amount of profits with with some you know typical capitalist business. You can rely on the free market. You can grow at your own rate, and I see a ton of people surviving and thriving doing so. You know, the, the folks that are trying to make millions yeah. of dollars. They're all going down the drain. But my friends, again, with a 10 lighter and a 20 lighter, my friends making small batch hash, my friends who have become donut rollers and are curating small batches of, of, of hand rolled hash joints, they're all doing great. A bunch of them are in Spain. They all had tickets to Spain and enough money for a hotel. And they're over there smoking hash and having a great time. So I think we just got to remember that, like, a lot of people have integrated into the space that wait for the government to give them permission to live their life. And, right. and the government That's is right. actually... In in it, I know it's an abstraction. I know those guys have guns and they want to enforce their way. But the thing is, it's an abstraction. They only have power that we give to them, and we can continue to do what we want, and 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 disregard them. Grow weed, share it with your friends. I agree one, uh, one million percent with you. So yeah, I'm going to be talking about this later, but I'm in Oklahoma, and the sentiment here is very much that. Keep the government out of our backyard and in our homes and in our businesses. And voters spoke loudly about that yesterday. Um, but I'll wait until it's my turn to go into more we detail. We go into that story. I think uh, uh, just one last rebuttal here. Uh, I, I do think that people are going to continue doing what they do. Um, but the quote unquote industry going forward, I think we're going to be doing it outside of the industry, uh, period. Whether it's farmers markets, whether it's um, just doing what the fuck we do um, under the table, um, but the quote unquote industry, I think it's just like going forward. The only people that can have money uh, to do this long term is going to be medical. Yep, and you know, you know, the other part about this too, Rico, is you know, Canadians, you know, they messed up weed, they destroyed weed when they went when they did legalization. We just covered it that they gave a cannabis operator a permit to produce and manufacture cocaine. So, you know, the Canadians are going to ruin cocaine too. And fuck up the coke game, man. They're going to fuck up the coke game. If, if we were to allow the FDA to govern cannabis, Dr. Fauci would just screw it all up. I love how you say if we allow the FDA, like it's not going to happen. It's not. I mean, like you have the power. Huh. To stop I do. Washington. I, do I, have I the can't power. wait to see that you magical power. Man. I have the power. Real change. <laughs> That's a great thing to mention right there. A, a quote from Martin Luther King, because real change isn't delineated from the government down. That's real right. change happens at the grassroots exactly. when actual human beings get together, form coalitions mm -hmm. and say enough is enough yep. and begin acting however the fuck they want. And if yep. you look at past you know, rebellions, revolutions, whether successful or not, whether the ultimate outcome was maybe bad because it was based on violence, what you see is individual human beings coalescing to form groups outside of the system and then the system rushing to catch up in order to co-opt the power again. And so that like, let's just continue to do well, what I we want to do. You. And then well, the government you catch up. You Saint Germain, while I hear you, all this industry has proven is that they don't get along. They can't get on the same page. They can't do anything to move this forward. Well, Gretchen, that's because the heart of the industry is actually anti-capitalist and anti-corporate and anti-government. And the reason most of us were in there was because 
it makes us sick to the stomach to see the Walmart model where three people get to go to the Maldives four times a mo- uh, four times a year, and everybody else gets a blue shirt and minimum wage right. and treated like an actual piece of human refuse. And so you have a core of the industry that actually wants the death of the current system. And how do you integrate something that wants the end of something with with this thing that wants to continue to do the same thing where they suck all of the value out of all of our individual labor and give it to the few people whose, you know, dad went to Yale and handed him a check for five million dollars so they could become an entrepreneur. Right. You know how you do that, Saint Germain. You how you do that is you get everybody on the same page and pushing for what we want. Agreed. That we can't do that is what's holding us back. So I agree. And I just say that we don't even need to worry about the government. If, if we literally, if you see in California, the, the mass of citizens just started to grow so much weed. The reason really weed became legal was because the thing was out of the box and there was no way they could control it. So they tried to, these folks tried to get back on top and assert their dominance so they could pull the tax money and pull all this permit money and pull all this revenue. And what they're doing is they're crashing that head of the dragon and, and everybody who's doing their own thing is continuing to thrive. And I, so yeah, I think right. we agree. I just think we agree about tactics and methods, and that's probably because of our perspective and our lives, et cetera. Right. So, I mean, and, and this is why I say, like, stop lying to social equity applicants about that generational wealth bullshit. It's not going to happen. <laughs> it's not going to happen on, 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 especially on an adult use level, unless you are building something medical. Like, it's not like long term, the money's not going to be there. So we need to talk about reparations if you want to help out the black communities. Okay, you want to talk about right there. If you want to talk about economic opportunity, talk about reparations. Don't talk about social equity. Yeah. Rico Levit, you can't even get banking. You're going to hand you money? No way. That is the only way you're going to bridge the economic gap with black and white America is reparations. Okay, keep you're not going to do it through. You're not going to do that yeah. shit through. I'm social not saying equity. it would be nice. So, I'm so, telling so you, still gonna be, you're still going to be selling a lie of, of generational not, wealth through I'm cannabis. Not selling a lie. I didn't. I never pushed that bullshit lie. That's what I said. I'm we need saying, to stop selling, selling that lie. Trying to we tell people that, that reparations is the only way. All you're doing is leading them down a pathway. I I totally I totally agree with that, Gretchen. How is that? That is the only way you're going to bridge the economic gap between black and white communities. In what world? Any other way, it ain't going to happen. The federal government is going to cut you a check. In what world? Hold on. And without saying thank you, you're not even going to get it. Why in God's name are they going to give you money? It'll it'll happen. Stop it. You're a dreamer, bro. You want to put some money on that it's one? the only way that gap will right, be bridged. Let's put some money not, on you getting reparations. It's the only way, it's the only way that, that gap will be bridged. If, it, if it's not, then it'll never happen. Bet? Ever. You want to take that it'll, bet? It'll never happen, ever. I'm with Rico on this, and I think it is possible. I think one of the biggest things I hear when I talk to people and they Over. offer their perspectives is so, so much. A lot of people's perspectives are based in in, in fear and, and conditioning that they've been given by other people. And if you just relax for a minute and like breathe into your heart, Right. You can like feel that like we're all here. We're all included. And there's a there's a myriad of ways that we can help and support each other, including represent reparations of the black community that was systematically targeted by the U.S. government, the police, the sheriffs, the FBI and the CIA. And that's all available through Freedom of Information Act from the U.S. government, not a conspiracy website, not a YouTube video, but government documents showing the the, the specific targeting of black individuals and, and started the Black Panthers. Anybody Google the Black Panthers and what happened to them. And it will begin to fill in the story from from every direction. And, and so I would just say, like, 
instead of all of us reflexively going into like, oh, I can't give money to that guy. He won't work. Like, let's just stop and think about it for a minute. Like I, I create way more than enough just by myself with my efforts. I share it with my entire community. Why can't that be replicated by more people if they're given more ability and tools to do so? I'll stop over talking, guys. All right, let's keep it moving, man. That's a great debate, man. I love you all, even though you, even though we disagree. Yeah, let's let's run that commercial, Adam. Now, if he is not at Green Street smoking on the best weed in the world, he's probably at Matt Gates's house checking IDs, keeping him out of trouble. <laughs> you know who it is coming up next. It's the cannabis industry's longest continuously operating retailer, Jason Beck. Oh, yeah. Very cute. Very cute, Rico. Very, very cute. Hope everyone is having a great day. It's hump day, you guys. But I'll tell you what. I got an interesting story, and my story is extra, extra short today, okay? So I know Gretchen is going to be super excited about this because Altieri steps down as Chief Marijuana Advocacy Group of Normal. That's right. Eric Altieri, who has served as the executive director for Normal since November of 2016, announced his departure from the Washington, D.C.-based advocacy organization. He is stepping down from the position to, in quotes, to pursue projects outside of the marijuana policy reform space, according to a Tuesday news release. Normal Treasurer Randy Quest, who serves as the group's board of directors, will take the role um, as acting executive director while a committee searches for Altieri's permanent replacement. Altieri first started work, working with Normal back in 2007 as an intern and later served as a communications director as well. So we want to wish him a, a safe uh, safe success on whatever he's going to go into next. And obviously, he's probably going to make more money now that he's out of cannabis. And this is Jason Beck reporting for High at Nine News. What do you think about this, Gretchen? What do you think about this change of events in the largest advocacy group in the nation? Let him leave. Don't care. Doesn't matter. Do <laughs> <laughs> you think normal is that effective? No, I don't think normal is effective at all. Do you think it's because of his leadership? I don't know if it's because of his leadership or not. I, I personally don't know the man. Um, I'm I'm just I I have not yet to see uh, many of these groups be very effective in their lobbying efforts. Clearly, uh, Normal's been around quite a long time and hasn't achieved very much. Well, you know what they have achieved? They've achieved probably the largest largest uh, email a- email uh, address databases of any advocacy organization. Where's legalization, Jason? That's their actual job, not accumulating emails. I agree, but maybe it's one of those kinds of organizations that believes in, you know, not creating the solution to the problem because then they wouldn't have a job. That's just so bad. Okay. Well, Eric Altieri was aware. Eric Altieri was aware of Mass Can being run by some neo Nazis for three fucking years and he did nothing. He allowed allowed, um, their leader be reelected after being kicked off for being exposed as a neo-nazi twice 
shots fired. <clears throat> I need to speak, speak up, you, Gary. Hop on. Say something about it. Were you asking to hop on and speak about it? Eric Altieri. Oh, Eric Altieri. Well, he's not. He's he's moved on out of the cannabis space to actually get some real money. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Fuck that dude. Well, sounds about right. <laughs> All right, whatever you guys. But <laughs> Jason Beck, do you have some great love for the work that the man has done? <laughs> no, no, I don't. Not at all. I just. What, you know, are, you, what are you upset about? Why are I'm you crying to shed such a tear? I'm not upset at all. Just trying to just offer a different perspective than what you guys are offering is all. Okay. Just <laughs> 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 but I do. You, you, you know. You know. You know how I feel about uh, Eric Altieri, Jason. Tell you know me, what? tell me how you feel, Rico. Oh, brother, this guy stinks! <laughs> Get the fuck out of here, dude. Hold on, can you can you just play the play the one? Can you play the 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 Bernie play the Bernie Sanders? Please? I am once again asking for your financial support. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there we go. That sounds like normal to me, right there. Um, we do want to send a big shout out though too to all of our friends watching this episode live in Spain right now that are all attending Spanibus. High at Nine News is sponsoring a party right now called Hotel California, where our very own Mandy Tingler and our very own Adelia Carrillo are in person at this event. So shout out to everyone over there at Hotel California. We hope you all are having an amazing time in Europe and come back with some great footage and new friends. Anything, anything else on that? No. Hey, Gretchen? Got nothing. Just Never like the work that he's been doing for the past, what, eight years? I don't even know. I can't count. I was a journalism major. No, he's done nothing. I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Coming up next. That's right. She's the feisty rest redhead that loves to debate with Rico. About nothing half of the time, and the other half of the time, she loves to dress her dogs up in outfits and put on eyes sideways. Yes, that's right. She's the founder of Panoptic Brad, she's the very own Washington insider. That's right, taking off the apron and throwing it on her dogs. It's none other than the Gretchen Gailey. Good afternoon. My headline is coming from Marijuana Moment, and it's actually. A semi-happier headline uh, than we've talked about so far. Semi. I mean, it's sort of getting there, you know. Semi. Hawaii Senate approves marijuana legalization and psychedelic research bills. The Hawaii Senate has approved a bill to legalize marijuana and two psychedelic research measures ahead of key legislative deadline. And the House separately passed a companion to one of those psychedelic proposals. The Senate Cannabis Legalization Bill, sponsored by Senator Joy San. Buenaventura cleared the chamber in a 22 to 3 vote on Tuesday. Advocates are encouraged by the development, especially after a number of amendments were adopted in committee last week that tackled certain equity concerns with the bill as introduced. Senator uh, Buenaventura, the bill's sponsor, said on the floor that the measure allows us to cut back on the illicit market by allowing free access for only one ounce for recreational use and it allows for the dispensing of a safer form of marijuana for those who need to use it for medical reasons. But the proposal's fate in the House is in question. 
with the speaker recently stating that he intends to see the issue workshopped over the summer so that lawmakers can develop a comprehensive reform proposal that addresses outstanding concerns. Ahead of the vote, Senate President Ron Cucci said that while he's personally not a big fan of the legislation, he recognized that it's supported by a majority of the Senate caucus and he correctly predicted its passage. But House Speaker Scott Seike, Seike, uh said in the same joint interview with Spotlight Hawaii that he's communicated to committee leadership that he wants to wait and take a look at this over the summer and come back with a bill that's comprehensive and addresses the concerns that are always raised about marijuana use in Hawaii, including the federal restrictions and the law enforcement concerns. The Senate president, for his part, recognized that it takes two houses to go forward. And if the House is going to want to have a deeper dive into it, at least the Senate will be handing over a version of what they think would be important in the bill. If things change, then maybe it'll be possible with, with a vehicle alive for something to happen this session. Meanwhile, the Senate also approved two psychedelic bills uh, yesterday. Senate Bill 1454 from Senator Ron Cucci would establish a state working group to examine the medical and therapeutic effects of psilocybin. It passed unanimously on the consent calendar. And Senator Chris Lee's separate uh, Senate Bill 1531 would create a state advisory council tasked with exploring state and federal regulations on certain psychedelics, including uh, psilocybin and MDMA in addition to reviewing scientific literature related to using them for mental health treatment, members also approved that bill unanimously on consent. A House companion version to that bill, House Bill 1340 from Representative Adrian Tam advanced through its chamber as well yesterday. Yesterday was the last in-session day for the House and Senate to pass legislation over to the other chamber before a crossover deadline on Thursday. A competing marijuana legalization bill was scheduled for committee consideration last week, but it was ultimately set aside. But with the latest amendments to Senate Bill 669, activists who worked for years to enact reform in the Aloha state are eager to keep the momentum going in the House. Uh, here are just a few of the provisions that would matter. Adults 21 and uh, older would be allowed to purchase and possess up to 30 grams of cannabis and grow up to six plants, only three of which could be mature for personal use. Adults could also gift marijuana between each other. An independent Hawaii Cannabis Regulatory Authority would be established under the Department of Health to regulate the industry, as well as the existing medical marijuana program. The market would initially launch through a pilot program, whereby existing medical cannabis dispensaries would be able to obtain a dual license to serve both patients and adult consumers. Marijuana products would be subject to a 10% tax, with revenue going to the state treasury. Cannabis businesses would also be able to deduct business expenses as part of the state income tax. And under a substitute amendment that was adopted, a prior ban on cannabis vaping products was removed from the bill. Uh, it should be interesting to see what these folks do. I hope that the House uh, moves forward in passing the measure. Um, I, I know that a lot of folks have been out lobbying in Hawaii to try and get something through. Uh, and people that I know have been out there have been working very hard and diligently. And so I do hope uh, that Hawaii will see adult use legalization before the end of the year. Discretion for Hyatt 9 News. You think they're going to see adult use legalization before the year, huh? Yeah. Interesting. Why not? Well, I, mean, I said it, so Oklahoma it's going to happen, Jason Beck. Oklahoma did yeah, but uh, Yeah, but they're doing it legislatively. They're not uh, hoping that the marijuana voters show up to do it. Mm, hoping. 
She's they're oh, like they're, they're like the lady, the lady in the JC Penney's commercial. She's like open, not, open, open, open. You're not into that hopey changey stuff, mm-hmm. Gretchen. Into into what hope? That hopey changey stuff. No, hope is bullshit. Not, a, not addicted to hopium. I, dude, if you want to be disappointed in life, use hope as your main vehicle for getting shit done. <laughs> I mean, that's what they were doing when they are talking about reparations. Let's keep this conversation to Hawaii you, you, you before we go, go down, down that rabbit hole again. Down that rabbit hole, Jason. Matthew St. Germain, I, I'd like to know what your thoughts are on these uh, psychedelic uh, research bills. Do you think they're good or just another whatever? I think they're they're great. I think that what we've been seeing uh, in all the news that we've been sharing uh, collectively is that psychedelics are non-toxic, hugely beneficial, and the more rigorous science they apply to them, the more they find actual reasons why they're working. And I think that uh, one you know one one half of this is psychedelics, and they're urging us all to uh, help folks who have especially childhood trauma, sexual trauma, abuse trauma. Uh, growing up just completely destitute, these type of traumas, because that's the majority of people who are drug addicts. But then the other half is is folks who already have a little bit of a, of a leg up in life through the, the luck of their birth. The psychedelics actually help them to actualize and Im- improve their intellect as well as their emotional capacity. And so I think that psychedelics are really going to lead us to what I like to call the great relaxation and are probably our only, they're like our Obi-Wan Kenobi and our only hope for a golden age on the earth, because I don't know anything else that'll do it. Well, I find it interesting that the psychedelics bill passed unanimously. Um, they just have, they have so much less. They have so much less stigma on yeah. them. And and then the other thing is maps. Uh, I was shout these guys out maps.org, maps.org. They are now 30, 40 years deep in public policy and science that have been showing that these uh, things are again non toxic and hugely beneficial. And once you get enough uh, uh, scientific research and peer-reviewed scientific studies from mainstream teaching hospitals that show that these things work, you can't really deny it at that point. You've never been to court then, right? Where they tell exactly. you to fuck up and die because we don't believe it. Exactly. That's the problem we all face is these still are scheduled drugs. Clear back to the Tim Leary case that pissed off Nixon and my parents' generation. And we still suffer from those um I think it was a knee-jerk religious response on behalf of a lot of them that this just violates all of our principles of society and we can't let it happen. But unfortunately, as you understand, um, Matt, back during the 1950s, research was very clear. This shit was better than any antidepressant they had. That continued until Tim Leary got pinched and they turned his apple cart upside down. That research is out there. The National Health Service has it. And so now... You can't argue it doesn't have medical value. We've got it. They still try to argue about cannabis. It don't work very well. But in this administrative loop system, you find yourself, the courts don't even want to hear it. And that's the problem we all face. There's a legal obstacle to moving this forward. And legislatively, it's a clusterfuck because no one can work together. They don't seem to learn from each other. And so here we are. The black, the illicit market wins, smiles, as my friend Sean says. Yeah. Thank God for the illicit market because they don't give two shits about these people in positions of policymaking power have to say. This is going to continue to roll until at some point it catches up with reality. Yeah, I think I think psychedelics is a snowball. And and I think you're right. What happened in the 50s was that the the depatterning and the repatterning that was going on with psychedelics was causing people to see that chemicals weren't going to be the future, that formula wasn't actually superior to breastfeeding, that plastic wasn't going to save the world. 
And and there's a clear again, we go we go into Freedom of Information Act materials that are available from the FBI, J. Edgar Hoover, uh, the CIA and Nixon. And they show a concerted effort to destroy the black community, the Mexican and farm worker community, the American indigenous uh, community, the American indigenous movement, as well as the free speech movement and the the weather underground, these other factions that were rising through more, you know, white or European uh, uh, appearing entities as well. It's been stated that they used the drug war to focus and win the political war of American fascism against people who wanted freedom and community. But now the thing is, the cat's out of the bag. There's enough folks my age and younger that are getting scientific and policy degrees from from uh, reputable colleges that are doing this work and are showing through through the the traditional methods that these things work. And so what we had was thesis, antithesis, th- uh, synthesis. The, the thesis was chemicals and, and artificial life and, and, and all of this was going to save America and the, the America of the 50s, the white America was going to win. Uh, the the antithesis of that was the original counterculture where people knew it was broke and were so bereft of ideas that they looked to other cultures and and just total freakouts to get away from this thing that they knew wasn't going to work, that they knew it was just a death train. But now we have the synthesis where the children of those people have reintegrated and have gone to school and have got degrees and have good paying positions and positions of respect. And through that synthesis, we're realizing scientifically and medically that cannabis and psychedelics are wildly beneficial and are going to help the human race if we allow them to. All right. And on that, we got to get to a commercial. We'll be right back, everybody. Keeping up to date on the evolving policies of relevant state, local and federal governments is key to success. When the future of your business is at stake, you need representation as dedicated as you are. With a maze of laws and regulations surrounding cannabis, hemp, and psychedelics, knowing where to begin can be a challenge. Good thing the law offices of Omar Figueroa features a skilled, highly focused team ready to guide you through it all. They're accepting new clients in California and New York. So make sure you check them out at info at omarfigueroa.com. The thoughts and opinions and general overall shade thrown on High 9 News are those of the individual speakers and not those of any other speakers or its followers. The state's statements made do not constitute legal or accounting advice, and our speakers make no representation regarding the legal status of any substance in any country, area, territory, or any authorities. The views expressed in this room do not establish any fiduciary relationship, and our sponsors do not imply or constitute any endorsement by us or the expression of any opinion whatsoever on the part of any speaker on stage. If you are an easily offended person... This show is probably not for you. And maybe you should quit your job like the guy from Normal did. When you want to grow some of the best weed in the world, then you must start with the best genetics in the world. Go to www.dnagenetics.shop to order regular feminized or autoflower beans. All of your favorite DNA genetics cultivars such as Kosher Kush, Skywalker Kush, and oh yeah, Chocolate Truffle Shuffle. Boasting more cannabis awards for their award-winning genetics than any other company in the world. Remember to go to www.dnagenetics.s H-O-P to see why our Terps don't lie. Oh, yeah, and we're back. Coming up next. <clears throat> First time joining us, that's right, from Oklahoma, we have Larissa Bolivar, a cannabis industry professional with boasting over 20 years in the trenches. She is the Chief Operations and Compliance Officer at HPF Productions and a Cannabis Management and Cultivation Company 
operating most greenly in Widenet, Oklahoma. Here to tell us about everything that's happening in Oklahoma is Larissa Boulevard. Hi, guys. Hey. Thanks for having me. I'm really honored yeah. to be on the show. I've been really Welcome enjoying to this. The team, Larissa. Hi, Rico. <laughs> Long time no see. So, um, I, you know, the shot heard around the world, I believe, is that 77 counties, all 77 counties in Oklahoma voted no, 61% for recreational use. And that may seem like a shock to people, but it's not too much of a shock for me. Um, I myself was kind of apprehensive about the bill. Um, but before I go into my opinion, I'm going to I have an article here that I'm going to to read about this and then I'm going to make some commentary. Um, Bill to legalize recreational marijuana fails in Oklahoma as all 77 counties vote against. Oklahomans gave a resounding no to legalization rec to legalizing recreational marijuana sales Tuesday, striking a blow against efforts to expand an industry beyond the state's current medical marijuana framework to set up set up five years ago. Over 61% of voters rejected state question 820, which was criticized by some law enforcement, religious leaders, and public school administrators in the closing weeks of the campaign as a step too far. At its core, the state question would have legalized recreational sales to anyone 21 and older. Supporters thought, <clears throat> sought to expand the law, which would have effectively decriminalized marijuana and would have allowed persons to seek expungement of their criminal records for most marijuana-related convictions. Instead, Oklahoma's marijuana, Oklahoma's marijuana laws will remain as is, barring any significant changes considered by lawmakers this year. So, um, sorry, my phone just completely went kaput on me. Um, how supporters and, and opponents are reacting. We are obviously pleased with the results, said Pat McFerrin, a campaign director for the No One 820 campaign, we think this sends a clear message that Oklahomans oppose the unfettered access to marijuana we have experienced under our so-called medical program. Voters clearly want to protect our children, crack down on organized crime, and improve mental health of those in our state. Yes on 820 campaign, Director Michelle Tilly said, I challenge our legislature, I challenge our governor, this is in your hands now. This wasn't about legalizing marijuana. This was about keeping Oklahomans out of the criminal justice system. Senior campaign advisor Ryan Kiesel told a crowd of supporters at the Yes on 820 watch party, the other thing to keep in mind, that this is not the end of the effort to end prohibition in the state of Oklahoma. The legalization of adult use recreational cannabis was expected to give a boost to the industry, which has been struggling with the oversaturation of retail dispensaries and products they sell. Along with picking up new customers who don't have a medical marijuana card, the industry would have seen an influx of consumers from other states. Before the election, the owner of vertically integrated cannabis business told, <clears throat> of a vertically integrated cannabis business told the Oklahoman, part of the USA Today Network, that passing SQ820 would help balance supply and demand. We'll be able to stretch our legs and be able to operate at capacity, if not close to it, said the Nirvana Group owner, Arshad Lassie, in an interview last week before the vote. We will be able to produce more products and utilize our facilities to their limit and to what they were designed to do. Now those dreams are up in smoke. Taylor Thompson, who works as a public defender in Oklahoma County, said she supported the state question not only for herself, but as a medicinal user, but 
for the clients she sees still arrested and incarcerated for marijuana possession and use. She also sees clients denied housing and experiencing other barriers due to previous marijuana charges. Nobody should be getting arrested for weed at this point, Thompson said at the Yes on 820 Watch Party Tuesday night. Now that SQ 820 failed, Thompson believes that expungement of records pertaining to marijuana use and possessions should be a legislative priority. Another supporter, Claire Fruchor, said that she was sad and disappointed about the results. She said that she hopes this wakes up people who felt like they didn't need to go out and vote. Oklahoma Governor Stitt and Attorney General Gentry Drummond both issued statements praising the outcome of the vote, reiterating their goals of cracking down on the black market and organized crime that sprang out of the state's medical marijuana industry. Whew, that was a long article, but um, I'm not surprised. Um, I'm, I, I manage a grow. We're actually in a contract to buy this grow. And I had my own reservations about the bill. It was your uh, usual suspects who were pushing for this bill. Um, Vicente Cedarberg came in and did a study on how much tax dollars would be made from the, you know, 15% sales tax. That they were paying. Of course. Right. And the 15% excise tax, which I was, you know, I'm not a fan of, of these special taxes. I actually ran the no on AA proposition AA campaign in Colorado, which was against the proposed taxes back in 2013. Um, they're a regressive tax. It impacts poor people the most. And we're essentially subsidizing careers with these taxes. Um, Oklahoma is not the state to, to promote taxes and then social services from those taxes. People here are very much pick up your bootstraps. They don't care if you're addicted to drugs. They blame people for being addicted to drugs. Unfortunately, that's the sentiment that we are working on changing here. It's one of the reasons why I moved here. Um, but I'm not at all surprised to see that this happened. And um, I really enjoyed what Gretchen had to say about letting the medical marijuana mature. Uh, I think that that's really key. You look at states, other states like California, Colorado, and it's just an epic fa failure. The illicit market is surging. And, you know, I kind of applaud that in a way because it is a direct response to how consumers who are voters are feeling about these laws. I think that... Um, we should be able, you know, uh, I believe it was uh, Matt St. Germain was talking about how the essence of, and and maybe, was it even Rico? I'm not sure, but maybe, but the essence of the movement has always been pushing the envelope. And I really do think that um, there will emerge a grassroots movement around this here in Oklahoma. It's not that medical marijuana operators don't want to have rec. We just, we have so many rules right now being pushed through the legislature that will address a lot of these loose ends that they wanted to kind of tie into uh, SQ820. But, you know, I think we need to fix our medical program before we start pushing REC and, so that we don't become like California, Oklahoma, or I mean, Colorado. You guys, you guys have an amazing medical program out there. What's that? Uh, you guys have an amazing medical program out there. It's just like how California used to be. Yes. Hey, uh, hey, uh, um, yeah. uh, Larissa, you, you said you had your reservations um, about this uh, vote. Was this vote ever done with the reservations in mind, the native reservations that make up half of the state of Oklahoma. I think so. I think that people didn't want to hand off the industry to the usual suspects that everybody's on here complaining about. I can see in the comments even, you know, you've got these lobbying groups that are coming in and they're, you know, we don't have Cresco Cure Leave, True Leave here. 
They're, they can never compete in that market. Right. They, they can't. They can only compete in, in, awesome. in the heavily capitalized uh, um, emerging markets. L restricted license markets. In fact, that they, re yeah. they these entities rely more on the artificially inflated value of their license than they do providing quality care. They can't compete in this state. Their license value won't be the millions of dollars it is in states like Illinois or Arizona or, you know, Florida. Hey, hey, uh, hey maybe the future is uh, is big pharma pushing out a bunch of franchises to the, <laughs> to the small. Maybe <laughs> uh, that's what it is. If like the intention is to keep the illicit market thriving, then go ahead. But then we're going to be back at ground zero again of having to protect consumers and producers. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to put money on. I'm willing to put money on that. A lot of a lot of the uh, cannabis voters in Oklahoma actually voted no. <laughs> on this as opposed to most people thinking that they were going to vote yes because the uh, people in Oklahoma have seen all the problems that have arisen in the California market as as well right. as other markets across the country when they go to this type of a phase of legalization that's exactly it that's been the conversation on social media chat groups i even tweeted at one point that i had about my reservations about the bill um, I, and, and it absolutely has to do with these other states. I left Colorado. It was almost impossible to break into the industry as an owner operator there. Um, I actually was a light. I was a partner on a license. And when I, I mean, just between the market protectionism and then just blatant racism, I'm Latina. I went to get um, license in Pueblo, Colorado, and the lady asked me if me and my partners were cartel. And so <laughs> I'd rather I'd rather deal if I'm going to deal with racism, I'd rather just move to a state that embraces it than one that's like covert. And then when I go try to get licensed, then they're just yeah, throwing yeah. in my face my heritage. Like Larissa, you you got you, you have a val you have a valid uh, point there because statistically, there's just as many racists out here in California than my home state of Virginia, but. Oh, um, yeah. You know, like me on the other other side of that, I would rather be out here and have them keep it behind closed doors and, and have them beat me down every single day with uh, the, the verbal abuse. So, oh, it was horrible. It was horrible in, in, well, in Colorado and the market protection is in there. You can see it now. The, the, the rapid consolidation of that market. People don't want that here. This, the, the overall um, community here. I mean, this is just a very grassroots, small mom and pop shop community and you know my boyfriend's from here he's a 30-year grower we moved here so that you know we could take advantage of the more of the of the freer market here and you know that's 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 just how these communities operate everybody kind of rallies around their shops that are around these communities the person that we're buying this grow from is is a great example of someone who was a stalwart of the illicit market who became uh legitimate and then he just wants to retire he's he's you know older um, it's just, I love Oklahoma for that. The Oklahoma has its faults. Don't get me wrong. It's definitely got its faults. It's, small, it's all the tumbleweed out there. It's called what? All the tumbleweed out there. All the tumbleweed. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, but, um, but I'll tell you what, everyone in Oklahoma, you know, you guys better watch out because if, if you're trying to take a play out of California, you know, we had our first legalization initiative we voted down and that was Proposition 19. And then the state came in with uh, this McCursa bill that was state legislature that mm -hmm. would wrung our necks even tighter than what prop 64 does and so we had no other choice but to prop pass prop 64 to get away from mccursa 
Is and a bait so and switch. Watch out. Yep, exactly. Watch out. Watch out for the for the shuffling jive out there in Oklahoma. And we got to go to a commercial and we'll be right back. With us, Rico. With you, I'm with you. All right. He is a founding partner at Armada Law Corp, and everybody's favorite foul mouth uncle, and the man with more dirty one liners than the EDM pre party. Coming to the stage next, y'all know who it is. It's Dale Schaefer. Ah, uh, good morning, everybody. I don't have an article this morning. I got a request from from Jason to look into a Supreme Court case that came down um, February 28th, the last day of last month. It's called the Bittner case, and it, it appears that uh, Jason has people in his in his uh, sphere of influence to believe this is going to change the cannabis industry's tax situation. And uh, so I, I took a look at it, did some research, and this is what I got. Um, if you don't know what 280E is, we're going to touch upon in a minute. But the Bittner case involved a guy who got he came to America from Romania, got dual citizenship, went back to Romania, made a shitload of money. And there's a requirement under a federal law called the Banking Secrecy Act that you file a report once a year on all these foreign bank accounts you got. Okay, And they give all the nonsense about we're looking for money laundering and illegal activity bullshit like that. But you have to file a a report once a year. Well, he didn't do it for five years. So he hired an accountant. They filed it. There were some issues about accuracy. So they supplemented it. And then they got banged with penalties for not each report, but for every one of the accounts he had over those five years. It was a $10,000 penalty for 272 accounts. And this guy got bent over and plugged for several million dollars. And he, you know, he objected and took it all the way to the Supreme Court. And Neil Gorsuch, who's one of the conservatives on the court, took a very narrow view of this statute. And to put it in my vernacular, he said, you guys are extending this bullshit way too far. The statute says, if you willfully do things, we'll go each account. But if it's a non-willful, we give you $10,000 penalty per report. Okay. And what they pointed out was they, they use Latin, but basically if you look at one part of the statute and they use particular language and another part doesn't, they don't apply that same language to every provision, okay? And so the willful part was per account, the non-willful was for report, and they also brought up an old principle called lenity, where there's gonna be a penalty we strictly construe against the government and in favor of the poor bastard who's gonna get a penalty, okay? So that is what I think Jason is gonna be applied to the cannabis industry. And I then went and took a look at some of the penalties in the IRS code. And let me just tell you, I, taxes nauseate me. I can't stand that shit. So I send people to accountants to get all this stuff figured out. But under the IRS code, if you underpay, okay, you can get hit with a 20% penalty. If you grossly underpay, you can give the 40% penalty. Okay. Now, how they apply that is maybe where we're going to have some issues here. 
if you remember the Harborside case, they got banged with considerable penalties and they managed to settle that. And I think the government was willing to look at taking away some of those penalties. You may now be able to challenge some of these if there are redundancies in these penalties. And the, the courts are now being instructed to look carefully at the language of this. And if it doesn't penalize for certain behavior, then don't infer that some other part of the statute makes those penalties applicable to everybody. Now, what those of us in the industry understand is that 280E is just a killer. And it came about when Ronald Reagan was president, his first year, there was a decision that allowed a drug dealer to write everything off as a normal business expense. And they said, oh, bullshit. They passed 280E. So if you're running a, an illegal drug business with controlled substances, you're trafficking as a business, all you get to write off is the cost of goods sold. That's it. So what I do is I take people to an accountant who's experienced the 280E, and I have them advise them on the structure to set up how they're going to do this for maximum 280E protection. This may be where this question is now directed, um, Jason, and we may be coming back to visit this because I want the accountant community and the tax attorney community to see if there's redundancies in these penalties that may now be able to be extracted out. You still may have to pay the extra tax, but the penalties could be shaved down. So that's my beginning of this discussion for today. What do you guys have to say? I mean, so I, I, I got tipped on the, tipped on this case and the, and the fact that this could be probably the biggest thing concerning cannabis companies that that a that a Supreme Court case is going to affect the cannabis company. Now it doesn't remove 280E, but what it does is it removes the. Correct me if I'm wrong on this language, but the onerous of impetus. Is that right, Dale? To where basically, um, because the federal government does has not set up a program or a, a, a way to show you how to file your taxes properly as a cannabis business, that therefore any mishaps that you do are not your in particular fault. It's the fault of the IRS, and therefore the IRS cannot fine or tax you any more than ten thousand uh, dollars in in per per filing. In regards to that's my interpretation of, of 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 this judgment, Dale. Well, that that's the rule of lenity. They call it. You strictly construe against the government and in favor of that person or entity getting the the penalty. That is a takeaway from that. Although there's, I did not find any strict ten thousand uh, dollar penalty in the IRS code. That's the Banking Security Act that specifically calls that. The IRS code talks about percentages of the underpayment. And there's provisions in there that say you can't stack these penalties. Mm -hmm. But the IRS puts out some information. And what this case says is we're going to take all that and hold it against you. If you're telling people that we're not going to do something, but then you try to do it in court, they're going to drag this, this paperwork out and say, but, but it's confusing. You told people it doesn't apply. That's what I think you're talking about. But yeah, but but because they haven't came out to say that this that, to set those types of rules, they're just applying it per case, per whatever IRS agent is going through. Say hey, this applies here, this applies here, this applies here. They don't have an SOP in place to say if that does or not. And since they don't, then therefore they can't apply it. Well, that's going to be the argument, and we will see. We will see. Abolish the IRS. Dissented, as, as did Clarence Thomas. So mm -hmm. there are some people who thought, oh, we should just allow these stacking these penalties. So the majority said, no, you don't get to do that. 
You got to be clear in your statute. And this is part of reining back in the government's overreach on these regulations and penalties and things. So stand by. We're going to see how this this plays out over time. Yeah. Funny how all those conservative justices just uh, voted positive for cannabis, huh? Hey, I hope they strike down that bullshit position of cannabis in Schedule 1 like they did with the Tim Leary case. Threw the they whole did. damn thing out. You're 100% right. 100%. Gretchen, what do you think about this? Really? <laughs> <laughs> wait, 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 wait. I, I, I hire very nice accountants. Uh, this is not, not somewhere for me to comment. You don't, you I, don't, I don't have any you don't know about taxes other than you get taxed. I, I don't I don't worry about my taxes. I pay someone to handle that shit. I stay in my lane. Stay in my lane. All yeah. I know is how to pass legalization, which apparently no one's listening to me on, but legalization <laughs> and we want legalization. But if you want me to do taxes for you, uh, I'm the wrong gal to call. Oh man. You, you're not that good at adding and subtracting? No. Not at all. I took the history of math in college. That counted as a math the history course. Of, oh my, the history of math. Is that like man. fingers and toes, Gretchen? Pretty much. Because when I'm 20 now, Gretchen Gretchen. with Gretchen. I, I have never claimed to be a math oh. genius. I don't, I don't do math. All I know is when $100 hits my bank account and Jason Beck, you still owe me another 100 Oh, damn. <laughs> oh, none of that. <laughs> do, we, do, we have, do, we, do we have another ad? We, uh, we, we, we could go. What's that? Do we have another? Oh, we play, we play, we play, we play. Oh, shit, it is 10 o'clock. We, got, we, got we are at the top of the hour, everybody. Thank you all out there for tuning in with us for yet another. Who's over there, like, farting and shit? Yeah. <laughs> out there for yet another episode of High at Nine News. You can always catch us weekdays, 9 a.m. Pacific and High Noon on the East Coast. Big shout out to our live audience members and online supporters tuning in and giving us the feedback on the daily headlines of chaos, also known as the developing cannabis industry. Our vetted industry correspondent team tuning in from all over the global community, bringing us much needed variety of perspective and adding your perspective opinions to the conversation. To our production team, thank you, Cloud Media Partners, House of Fuego and the wonderful Jaja Simone holding things down for us over in Clubhouse, keeping our AV struggles to a minimum. To our haters, call Gretchen if you want to do your taxes. She'll help you out. Hey, but uh, you know what? Cannabis Sativa L, we always do this every single day for you. So thank you for all the blessings you give to us. Big shout out to all the women. It is International Women's Day. Hug your mama, kiss your, kiss your babies, and remember... Hi, Nine News is on here every single day to give you the best news possible. We are number one in undisputed. Jason, you got a you got a final uh, message for the yeah. people you want to tell We just want to tell everyone. Hope they're having an amazing time at, at Spanibus out there in Spain, yes. and Barcelona. If you're at Hotel California, we appreciate your support. Thank you so much. We hope you're having a great time, and we wish we were there in person, right along with you. Spark up for us, baby. That's right, but only if it's good weed. None yes. of that proof outdoor shit. Smoke weed every day. <laughs> I think it's out, Adam.